judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. You just got back from your honeymoon. I did. It was amazing. We went to California and Mexico and we spent three days in the Bay Area, which was amazing and so relaxing. And everybody there is so active. Like there's hiking trails and everything smells really good. Like it's amazing. And we went to LA (laughs) and LA is like, "Mm, LA is LA. Like it it was fun. Oh, but you know who I ran into, who I didn't talk about the podcast with because I thought it would be weird. No, I cannot believe this. Well, so listen. Okay, so okay, I ran into Georgia Hardstark from My Favorite Murder, and I am murdering now. I'm a big fan of the podcast. But we were having such a good conversation. We were talking about Brooklyn. Her husband came over. He used to live in Brooklyn. Um, apparently, he lived like very close to where we live. So we we're having this whole conversation. And we're talking about our honeymoon. And then I was like, I cannot do like an elevator pitch for my podcast right now because (laughs) if it went the wrong way and she was like oh oh you're just talking to me nicely so you can sell me something I would have felt so bad but again if we had business cards no if we had business cards I could have been like it's been so amazing to meet you like thank you so much have a great rest of your day also I have a podcast take a gander if you'd like and just like slide our business card and be on my way so I wouldn't ruin the interaction because I feel like sometimes I I don't she probably has people come up to her all the time like listen to this script or like listen to this script what like read the script (laughs) or like do whatever like I'm sure that people are hitting her up all the time for things so like I didn't want to be like part of that I really enjoyed the interaction that we had it was she's fantastic and awesome and so sweet and I got to make Cookie her dog they have their own podcast network right I believe so yeah I could see why that might seem like you were trying to like get onto the network Mm -hmm. or whatever but I think yes I would love to but it would have I don't know I feel like it would have tainted the interaction I mean the interaction was great it would have worked if like I had been there with you since I don't listen to that podcast and mm-hmm. I would have been like, oh, hey, cool. Nice to meet you. Yeah. We, you know, she, I'm sure she didn't mention it because she's, you know, just wanted to meet Fan you. But, <laughs> but I would like slide in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, we do need business cards. That is the yeah. moral of the story. This is going to happen. It's and, and it's not even that hard. It's just like sitting down and doing that. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it won't take that long. But next time, next time we're in person, because uh, everyone, just in case you notice any difference in our sound today, mm-hmm. we are recording via Zoom. Uh, we haven't done that yet, but life happens and we just yeah. couldn't get to be in the same place at the same time today. So here we are. Yes, here we are. So back to my honeymoon, which is what this podcast is about. Actually. Oh, right. <laughs> um, L.A. was just like L.A. Our Airbnb in L.A. was very weird. Um it, we were in like a garage, like a well done up garage, but a garage nonetheless. And I left in my review that it felt like camping because everything was low to the ground and dirty. And there were like weird things about this visit. They had an awesome speaker system for the TV. Like they had like a Bose sound thing. They had these um like hue light bulbs. So you could, you could change the whole like landscape of the apartment by like the different lighting things, but they didn't have like a toilet paper roll. 
They didn't have paper towel in the kitchen. They didn't have salt or pepper, but they had a black jar, a jar that was filled with black sesame seeds. Just like a, a nut, like it used to be a gravy jar. Okay. And it had black sesame seeds in it. They had like no light at the front door. And there was like a, it was a very like wooded area where like the door was. So it was like, you had to like hold a flashlight to be able to get in. Oh, because okay. you couldn't see the key. Like it was, it was ridiculous. Like I was just like, this makes no sense. And like, they never reached out to us the whole time, which is like never my experience. Like you always get like a, Hey, everything. Okay. Check. Never. I'm like, I didn't reach out either, but like nothing. And the Airbnb we had in um, the Bay area was amazing. So it was just like, we went from like a hundred to like 12 and mm-hmm. it stuff. And it was just like, I said, this is a very good like allegory for, for LA, but it looked really great, but it was superficial and terrible underneath. <laughs> <laughs> so not that we're starting any East coast, West coast rivalries oh, no, here, but uh, New York all the way, huh? <laughs> you know what? I, I maybe not LA, but like Oakland, San Francisco, I could see living there. Like it was beautiful. Like it was so nice, but where I would really want to live is the resort that we stayed at in Mexico. We went to Los Cabos. <laughs> yeah, so you want to live in a resort. Okay. Oh, all they did was like, they did everything for you. And it took at least three days of people offering to carry anything for me until I was like, okay, yes, sure. You can carry this for me. I'm the queen now and you will carry these <laughs> things. Because like, I'm not used to being, I'm not used to being treated well. That sounds terrible. <laughs> but like, the customer service at this place was insane. And it was just like, like you would get to the elevator and there was like a butler on each floor, right? And you get to the elevator and like his office was right there. So he would run out while you're waiting for the elevator and ask you like how you slept. Do you need anything in the room? Do you need me to help you book any like uh, reservations tonight? Like, would you need anything? And we'd be like, no, we're good. Thank you so much. Like, you're awesome. Thank you. And he would stand there and wait with you for the elevator. And I'm just like, oh, Get away from me. I'm fine. This is now I feel like I'm taking you away from something because like my my biggest fear is that I am wasting someone's time. (laughs) I always feel like I am a baller to someone. And I'm like, this dude probably has like work to do and he has to stand out here with literally his job is to do what he's doing. Understand, (laughs) but like fundamentally, I don't. And when we first got in there, they showed us like a whole tour of the place. And the guy was like, you know, I'm gonna give you my cell phone number. So like, if you need anything while I'm like not here and I was like, when you're not here, you're not here. Like you're not working. Why would you give me your cell phone number? Like, bro, no, like I will have you from the hours that you were here and working. Like, please don't go like bend over backwards, but that's fair. Me and people were probably like, oh, that's probably for people who are looking for like hookers and blow. You text them. I didn't even think that my brain did not go there. That mine didn't either. My my lovely husband said, but the resort was amazing. It was relaxing. I sat by the pool, ate French fries. I ate French fries in the pool at one point. Not like a sea otter with it on my belly, which is what I would like to have had. But like it was like a stand up pool, so like I was like on the edge of the pool eating sure. French fries. And there was like a swim up bar. It was amazing. It was. So I amazing. used to work at one of those. A resort or? Uh, it was a country club. And I worked at the swim up bar. Nice. I I hated it. (laughs) No, I mean, it was fine. It was just kind of boring. Like, Mm. I don't know. There weren't a lot of people who were, who were there when I was there for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it was just 
the time of the year, the place. Yeah, maybe it was like an off season. I mean, it was it was in Texas, so there's that. Also, so wait, so this resort was in Los Cabos, and a lot of people were from Texas. And you would know because they would get in the pool and like the second thing they would say was that they were from Texas. And there was just like this energy. And there was actually a fight in the pool one time between two guys from Texas. And it was just like, wow, you guys are a lot. You're a lot. And I'm just like over here with my like elitist New York attitude, eating my fries, <laughs> trying not to like listen to like Texan logic that they had. Like they were, they were also very like conservative Texas people. Right. Hashtag not all Texans. <laughs> hashtag not all Texans, but like, maybe, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I was just like kind of done. Like there was a there was a point of time like you couldn't stay in the pool past two because those people showed up and it was like oh no it's time to go. Yeah 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 they they have those yeah. rules for a reason. Yeah. Um. But while you were gone, was it while you were gone or was it right after you came back? We got a a new Supreme Court justice. It was right after I came back. So thank you for making that happen by coming. I back did. Home. Aww. Yes. All the black people were put in place where they should be. Right? Is that? I just, I was so excited. You know, like, I feel like we shouldn't have had to worry because she was the most qualified, overqualified, really, justice in all of Mm -hmm. like history. Katanji Brown Jackson confirmed Supreme Court. So it'll be 100% official later this summer, right? Yes. The summer is when she gets uh, sworn in. But I saw this. I don't know what you call it, an iconograph? Is that what it's called? I think it's called an iconograph. It had like little heads for every single Supreme Court justice that has ever been in the United States since the beginning of time. Yeah. And when I looked at it, the only there was only one Supreme Court justice that was not a white man. Before I was born. And that was. Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall. Yeah. See, I because, know it. <laughs> because uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was appointed to the court the year I was born. Was she the first lady justice? She was. Mm-hmm. She was. Wow. And so literally only ago. one before my lifetime. And I'm only 40. Like, I mean, sure, to some listeners, it might be like, whoa, she's 40. But like, when you talk about the age of our country and the Supreme Court, and mm-hmm. only in the last 40 years yeah. has there been more than one. <laughs> that's kind of insane, right? And it's the first time that there's like a black woman. Like that's yes. When you think about the age of our country and like how many years things have been going on, like how, how many years that we've had a formal justice system, and this is the first time. It's it's crazy and it's a bit disgusting, but we're looking at the bright side that she's yes. here now, and it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, very, very, very excited. I'm also excited for this week. Why? Because it's finally freaking spring break at the City University of New York. (laughs) It's so late this year because Passover is so late and we always do spring break based on Passover and Easter. And of course, it's also Ramadan right now. And like everything is happening this week. All of the all of the religious holidays are happening but for those of us who aren't religious, it's just a week off. And I am so <laughs> grateful. <laughs> I mean, it's Easter too. Yeah. Yeah. That's I forget about that all the time. tomorrow when we're recording this. 
I, I have tomorrow? Easter. I have Easter dinner with my oh, yeah. in-laws. So yes, Easter is tomorrow, in my opinion. Yeah, it's no, it's definitely it's definitely tomorrow's an opinion thing. It's a fact. Oh no, do I have to leave carrots out for Jesus? Is that <laughs> Not even the Easter Bunny for Jesus. Eggs <laughs> for Jesus, carrots for the Easter Bunny. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. I think you need to go back to Catholic school. I, the problem is I don't. <laughs> the problem is I was there too long, which is okay. why I can make jokes like uh, eggs for eggs for Jesus. Jesus. Well, Sean always says Happy Undead Bunny Day. So. Or zombie zombie Jesus or day. Zombie Jesus. I saw. Yes. I woo, hot take. I once shared something like that, and like every Catholic I went to high school with got so mad at me on Instagram, <laughs> and I was just like, "Y'all need to relax." <laughs> Not Listen, that serious. Because when you think about it, it is zombie Jesus. Like he rose from the dead. Like that's what that is. Whatever. Literally rose from the dead. Literally rose from the dead. Or figuratively, whatever. <laughs> But before we alienate any more listeners, maybe we should get to our topic. <laughs> Texans, Catholics, let's get rid of them all. I'm kidding. I love you all. But like that's just sounds Texas is like our number three state of listeners. So is you really at least recently. At least recently. I mean, honestly, reach out. Where are you from? Because if you're from Houston, it's a different story. Austin. I feel like Houston. Austin is the Austin cool place. Austin and Houston, I feel like are the cool places. But if you think you're from somewhere else in Texas that's cooler, let us know. What is happening in your house? It's a, it's a, listen, we're recording. It's Zoom. It's a boys' night in my living room. <laughs> I am currently dying from some stomach nonsense, which is why I'm here. So we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna power through. We're gonna embrace it all. You're gonna hear cackling from the other room. You might hear a dog bark. Some it's sirens. Like it's all good. Some sirens. It's Brooklyn, baby. That's what it sounds like here. <laughs> Uh, well, today we're talking about someone who was born, well, in New York anyway, right? Yes, a native New Yorker. Native New Yorker. Yeah, we're going to discuss actress Jane Fonda. We're going to talk about her life, her career, and her activism. So we're going to be looking at her early experiences, including her marriages and the activism she engaged in during the Vietnam War. As a part of this, we'll look at how the media treated what was likely an honest mistake. Next, we'll reevaluate the labels she was given throughout her life and see what more was happening behind the scenes. Finally, we'll wrap it all up with how she's actively tried to make changes for women in Hollywood, stood up for the underdog, and used her voice and platform to further what she considers important 21st century activism. And trigger warnings for a brief discussion on suicide, depression, and sexual assault. <laughs> Jane Seymour Fonda was born December 21st, 1937 in New York City. Her parents were pretty well known. Her father, Henry Fonda, was a well-known actor. He was in films like Twelve Angry Men and Grapes of Wrath. Her mother, Frances Ford Seymour, was a widowed socialite. She's also from Canada, who already had a child from that previous marriage uh, when she met Henry Fonda. The two wed and had three children. The original daughter, Frances, then Jane, and then later her younger brother, Peter Fonda, who's also an actor, and his daughter is Bridget Fonda. It's a whole family affair. It is a whole family affair. Now, the Fonda children's childhood was not an easy one. Henry and Francis had a, a marriage that was darkened by infidelity and depression. 
Peter Fonda once described his father by saying, you see, it's not that he wasn't or isn't a loving person at all. He just has no character with a script that says Henry Fonda. Fonda says, I love you, son. That he would be able to handle. He needs a mask to be able to express. Yikes. While Jane's father was distant, her mother was even further away. Frances was a victim of sexual assault in her childhood. And as a result, she was in and out of institutions. Unfortunately, she committed suicide while she was in treatment at a sanatorium in in Beacon, New York. Jane was only 12 at the time. Her father said that her mother died of a heart attack. And it wasn't until reading it in a magazine years later that she learned the truth. I mean, I guess if you're only 12, it's probably a nicer thing to hear that it just kind of happened. I I don't know. Like, it's going to be a hard thing to address to a 12-year-old, especially back then. It has to be a super hard thing to address. But also, he knew he was a public figure. It was gonna, like, she was going to find out from someone else, like, if it was in the public knowledge that this is how this woman actually committed suicide. Like, if that were to happen to someone who had, you know, a very private family, you might never know. But, like, he had to understand that there was a possibility that she would find out from a magazine or from another, a fan or something. Like, someone would tell her. That's, I mean, I guess it's not like we had social media then. No, but, you know, Things didn't get around that much and they might have, but they, they might like sort of fade out from mm-hmm. like the public's the like social conscious. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It's going to be hard. You know, Jane Fonda's father remarried and then sent the kids off to boarding school first to Greenwich Academy in Connecticut and then the Emma Willard school in Troy, New York. Notable alumni, Elizabeth Katie Stanton. The school became a haven for Fonda. It was the one steady place that gave her a sense of community in her life. You know, after the Willard School, Fonda ended up in Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York. So these are all very fancy rich kids schools, if you don't know, because you might be on, maybe you're from Texas and you don't know about like East Coast schools, but they're very fancy rich kids schools. But like, she was a fancy rich kid, like, her dad, her father was a well-known actor. Like, this is exactly what was expected of her. But what wasn't expected was that she would drop out her sophomore year to go study art in Paris. After about six months of that, Fonda came back to the States at the age of 20. And she did a lot of nothing. Like, she was living in her father's house in Malibu. She had a few modeling gigs. She was on the cover of Vogue twice. But she had no real plans for the future. Yeah, but th- that changed when her stepmother gave her an ultimatum. You know, get a career or get out. And Fonda had no prospects, not even any ideas of what she wanted to do with her life. So in a panic, she took a walk down to the beach to clear her mind. And this is when she runs into her neighbor, Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg, his name might sound familiar, um, as in the Strasberg method of acting. He was a top acting coach of the 20th century. Some of his students included Marilyn Monroe, Sidney Poitier, James Dean, Paul Newman, Marlon Brando. You know, you see what you some see of those going those right? big names from the mid 20th century. Yeah. So Lee takes Fonda into his acting class. She learns, despite being terrified to perform, I can relate. Um, she has really big shoes to fill. Like her dad is a legend. I can't relate to that. But <laughs> <laughs> after her performance, uh, Lee pulls her to the side and tells her that she's got real talent, like talent that he's never seen before. And that's where she fell in love with acting. Yeah, sometimes you just need some encouragement, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Fonda wasn't originally interested in following in her father's footsteps. In an interview, she once said, when you grow up in the industry, you see what the people are really like behind their masks. 
you're not really encouraged to become an actor. So Fonda made her acting debut on stage in 1960 in a play called There Was a Little Girl. Her performance earned her a Tony nomination. Not bad. Right, exactly. For your first performance. So later in that singer, she debuted in a film called Tall Story with Anthony Perkins from Psycho. After that, she worked pretty steadily, but was starting to be typecast as the girl next door, you know, always bubbly and light. And she took these roles and she excelled in them, but she really felt like they didn't have much depth. You know, she found herself searching for something real, something more, something a little bit deeper. So her search took her back to Paris, like you do, um, where she would meet a man that would change the course of her life. One night in a bar, Fonda met Roger Vadim. Vadim was well known for two things, directing very sexy films and being involved with very sexy actresses. Jane describes him as being predatory and charming. Yikes. I mean, the predatory part is right. Uh, He and an actress named Catherine Deneuve had a child together when he was 32 and she was all of 18. I know her. I've watched movies with her in it. Um, She was in Belle du Jour and Tristana. These are both films that were directed by Luis Buñuel. And as a Spanish major, I had to watch these at some point. (laughs) Even though they were in French, I think, or at least one of them was in French. So Vadim was pretty famous for directing a film called And God Created Woman, starring Bridget Bardot, who he was married to at the time. The film was a romantic drama that pushed sexual boundaries. The American version of this is so heavily edited to fit with the Hayes Code that it's basically a different film. Uh, And for those who aren't familiar with the Hayes Code, this was a set of guidelines for motion pictures in the U.S. that prohibited profanity, suggestive nudity, graphic and realistic violence, sexual persuasions, and rape. So here's this dude doing groundbreaking experimental work in a film. He meets Fonda, who loves acting but is looking for something new and exciting. You see where this is going, right? Yeah. Yeah. The two started dating in December 1963, and they were married in August 1965. They bought a farmhouse in France where they were raising his daughter and writing and creating together. Things were going well. You know, Jane found the change that she had been looking for. In 1968, Vadim was set to direct a film called Barbarella. It's like a sci-fi, it's like a sexy sci-fi film. Fonda got the lead role, although she wasn't his first, second, or third choice. The role had been turned down by three different actresses, and Jane didn't really want it either, but... (laughs) Her husband was the director and he desperately wanted to make this film. So she did it. Wow. Yeah. Well, Vadim crafted her into Barbarella and the world began to see her differently. She was no longer the sweet girl next door. She was now a sex symbol. The image of a scantily clad Fonda was mass produced and sold all over the world. The release of Barbarella, paired with starring in risque French films, gave Fonda the reputation of being a sex kitten, a woman who exhibits an abundant sexual aggression. I don't know. I don't think of kittens as aggressive, but like, I get it. I get it. Have you? No. Because like, have you really been around like a playful kitten? They are aggressively playful. But I don't know. I just think that and like sexual aggression, it just like weirds me out to see those things together (laughs) yeah i don't i mean i don't know who decided that like sex kitten was the the name for that it does no sex puppies (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like they'd be dumb like 
Oh, poor puppies, but you're puppies right. Puppies are adorable, <laughs> but like dumb. Like they're just like all about a good time. I feel like little cats are the ones who are aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So the relationship with Vadim was beginning to crack. There were fights about money, affairs, control. Roger had a gambling and a fidelity problem that left Fonda feeling a little bit helpless. She was an American living in Paris. It was 1968, and she finds out that she's pregnant with their first child. And there's a war starting. America has invaded Vietnam, and the violence is being televised. Jane says the pregnancy made her feel everything. The emotions about the war were all around her. They were too strong for her to be silent. Her closest friend in Paris was a woman named Simone Signoret. She was a French actress and activist. Now, Fonda credits Simone as the person who showed her how to use her platform. There was more to life than being a housewife and an actress. Fonda had a voice and she found that she could use it. In the 2018 documentary, Jane Fonda in Five Acts, directed by Susan Lacey, Fonda speaks of feeling changed after filming the movies They Shoot Horses, Don't They, and Clue. Her transition into a serious actress made her realize that the change could happen in real life, too. This gave her the courage to pursue being an activist. Vadim didn't understand her need to be an activist. He didn't understand the need to get involved at all. Due to this and other conflicts, the two divorced, and Fonda and her daughter Vanessa moved back to her father's house in L.A., where she became a full-time activist. Fonda was coming to the podium kind of late. She stated there was so much catching up to do about Vietnam and about Native Americans and about what was happening to Black people and the Black Panthers. How could I have reached the age of 32 in such ignorance? So, like, personally, like, I, I love this quote and I love this honesty. I think a lot of people had this thought um, in the summer of 2020. Like, people mm-hmm. were just starting to notice, like, there were all these injustices happening around them. And they were just like, wait, what? Like, I didn't know, like, what's a microaggression? Like, it's it's never too late to change your mind and just start thinking differently and having a different perspective. And I I really am like, it's weird to say I'm like proud of the change that she made, but like, right. it's, it's just, it's so great that she was able to do that. Yeah, she, I mean, she took the time to learn uh, about a new situation that she wasn't familiar with. And it's very easy to be ignorant of things when, they don't affect you. Right. And and yeah. it's not to say that that's okay and excusable and this and that, but it is about the fact that she took the time to learn. And, and the same as with the examples you were using with 2020. Now, while Fonda had heart and purpose, she didn't have a lot of structure and focus. That is until she met Tom Hayden. Hayden was another activist and a freedom writer, and he was also part of the Chicago Seven. So there's a film on Netflix uh, about them called The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Hayden was portrayed in this movie by Eddie Redmayne. So when it came to Tom, like if you're looking for an activist coach, like this was a great friend to make. Together, Fonda and Hayden marched, spoke on campuses and explained to future soldiers the realities of war and what would be expected of them. While working together, Hayden became drawn by Fonda's transformation from Hollywood star to political star. In 1972, Fonda gave a memorable anti-war speech at a Vietnam War protest, and they began dating soon after. So it wasn't uncommon that activists would be invited to Vietnam to see the crisis and to speak on it. Fonda accepted an invitation to visit North Vietnam. She went solo on this trip to look at the dike system, which was rumored to be intentionally bombed by American forces. This was a pretty big deal because these dams are the only things standing between major flooding that can destroy whole villages. 
During her two-week stay, Fonda concluded that America was unjustly bombing farmland as the areas being targeted were far from military targets. She got eyes on the story, and the dams remained safe as a result. While in North Vietnam, she visited an enemy camp like she did with the American soldiers. She got to know them. She helped to humanize the other side. She was visiting POWs and promising to send messages back to their families. Her interaction with the Viet Cong went smoothly. She sang them a song in their native tongue, and they sang one back. Fonda sat down to listen and clapped when it was over. Unfortunately, she sat down on the seat of an anti-aircraft gun that would have been used to shoot down American planes. Photos of this were quickly sent back to the States and basically all hell broke loose. I remember hearing about this. I think it was from my grandfather. And he he had like this disdain for her even decades later, just like, oh, yeah. she did this. She she was very anti, you know, American because of this. Mm. And and I had never actually looked at the photo until we were preparing for this episode. And like, wow, overreaction much? Like, I always had the impression that she was like straddling some gun and like. Or like holding uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. I Like she just sat there because it was a seat. And well, I don't know. I think. If you look at the picture, she looks very joyful. Sure. Which like she is because like it's a, it's a nice moment between these her and these people with a different culture. But if you don't know anything else about it and you just see we're in this huge war, like our people are dying and this woman is smiling in a photo with them, I could see why people would be mad. Now we would get more information, right? But then it was probably just like, here's a photo, make what you want of it. Or the media was just like, well, that's here. it. You know, yeah. and like she gets labeled as treasonous. You know, she earns the nickname Hanoi Jane. So the State Department spoke out against her, calling her actions distressing and untrustworthy. Congress held hearings to look into see if she could actually be charged with treason. One delegate from Maryland was quoted as saying, I wouldn't want to kill her, but I wouldn't mind if you cut out her tongue. Yikes. Lovely. Yeah. So Maryland state legislator held a hearing to have Fonda and her films barred from the state. Like, relax, Marilyn. I'm, I'm all about alienating all of the states today. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> now, Fonda apologized for the optics, but kept protesting. And by the time the war was over, Hayden and Fonda were married. The two welcomed a son, Troy O'Donovan Garrity. If you've ever seen the Barbershop movies, he's the white barber in all three of them. And like, I say he's the white barber because it's like, that's his character. Like, all the barbers are black, but he's like, the one white barber that's like as good as the black barbers. Got it. Yes. Got it. Well, if you're wondering about his last name, his parents intentionally gave them his paternal grandmother's maiden name. Basically, they wanted him to have a clean slate and figured either name Fonda or Hayden just carried too much baggage. Like just give him a, a fresh name that was all his own. Yeah, a nice neutral territory. So at this time, Jane had reduced her acting gigs. She wanted to focus more on issue-driven films that matched the change that she was trying to make in the world. The first one being Coming Home. So this movie was a romantic drama. It starred Fonda and John Boyd. It was about the complex relationship between a woman and a paraplegic Vietnam War veteran. The film received six Oscar nominations, including one for Best Motion Picture. Voight and Fonda won both uh, Best Actor and Best Actress, respectively. The next few years were as normal as possible. Their son, Troy, recalls going to the Oscars in a station wagon in a used tuxedo. The family traveled to the country trying to raise money, 
and creating the Indochina Peace Campaign. This was an anti-war organization founded to spread education. After the war ended, it helped raise money for veterans and victims of the war. So the family basically shunned the ideas of wealth and made everything they did charity for others. Even as going as far to live in a really, really modest house that was also kind of a rotating shelter for the homeless. Tom was the head of the movement and Jane was the heart. They came to learn the only way regular Americans were going to be able to survive long term was to move the power out of the hands of the super rich and the corporations and into the hands of the workers. Something we're still fighting for today. They started the campaign for economic democracy and again tried to get back on the road to start raising money to spread the message. Only this time, America was in a recession. So they had a couple of different ideas about how to raise money from doing films to opening a restaurant or writing a book. One day, Jane just had this epiphany, how they were going to make money. And this idea was born. Jane Fonda workout tapes. Oh, yes. Do we all remember these? (laughs) If you don't, just think like uh, sweatbands, leg warmers. Yep, leotard like the underneath the, the pants. Leotard, whatever. Well, there yeah. was there was like What's the difference? it was like the the legs were one color, but the bodysuit part was another one mm-hmm. that went over it. I mean, you can YouTube this. You can I'm absolutely all the videos. Are on, I actually think I want to try one of them. So, all right, yeah. The first tape was released in 1982, Jane Fonda's workout, and it's one of the best-selling VHS tapes of all time. Fonda wrote the script herself and they all did their own hair and makeup and they spent very little on the production of it. And all the profits went to the campaign for economic democracy. Fonda herself was never given a paycheck. But what she did get was a huge PR boost and the love of women around the globe. So women reached out to her saying that they felt stronger, they felt more confident and they thanked her for it. These videos didn't exist before her. Jane made it so that the gym was now in your living room, giving accessibility to a group of women who couldn't go to a gym. But like, even if you wanted to go to a gym, the gyms of the 1980s were like very male dominated. Women just didn't feel comfortable going. I mean, some people don't feel comfortable going now. Yeah. And these tapes also helped Jane work through her issues. Jane suffered from bulimia since boarding school and the workout tapes gave her a new way to look at her own body. It helped her uh, address and overcome her addiction. You know, once you suffer from that, you have it for life, but you can keep it under control through healthy lifestyles. In the 1980s, Fonda focused on her passion projects. She would speak out on a national stage and then do a film about it. And personally, like, I love this. Like, you got people who were like, there isn't a deeper meaning to a film. It's just a movie. Meanwhile, that person leaves the theater with a different perspective. And it's like, gotcha. (laughs) Some great examples of this would be China Syndrome and 9 to 5. You know, the, the latter also starring Dolly Parton. The China Syndrome was about a television reporter and her cameraman who discovered safety cover-ups at a nuclear power plant and expressed the need for oversight when it comes to environmental issues. Less than a month after the film was released, there was a partial meltdown at a power plant called Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania. Some radioactive gas was released, you know. Cool, 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 cool. Big deal. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't enough to cause a serious injury to any of the people in the area, thankfully, but it still happened. Nine to five, that follows three women dealing with working in an office. They battled for things everyday women had to deal with, getting passed over for promotion, 
sexual harassment. Um, when did that come out? 1980. So pre Anita Hill. Pre Anita Hill. Pre Anita yeah. Hill. Yeah, but like so, 1980, I'm pretty sure. So they battled for things everyday women had to deal with, getting passed over for promotion, sexual harassment, and trying to juggle raising children and having a career. Women began to organize and demand what they were worth. The film provided representation that hadn't been seen as of yet. Fonda was using her film as a platform to try and affect change. So the changes in her life were also being done off screen. Jane and Tom bought some land in California and started a summer camp. All right. But like, perfect. So the kids that were invited were from all walks of life. So you had kids, you had children from actors and studio execs, all mingling with kids from the neighborhood, kids whose parents were farmers or Black Panthers. They all came to learn. It was here where a 12-year-old girl named Lulu became friends with Jane and her family. After a series of hardships, Lulu came to live with the Fonda family full-time. She was never legally adopted, but her bio mom knew where she was and knew that she was being taken care of. Lulu's full name is Mary Luana Williams. Williams wrote The Lost Daughter, a memoir. It's about her experiences, focusing on her life with two families. She was raised with Vanessa Vadim and, and her brother Troy as one of the children, with everyone involved, feeling like she was just part of the family. But the structure of the family was about to take a hit as Tom and Jane's marriage came to an end. Tom had met and fallen in love with someone else. Hayden and Fonda divorced in June of 1990. They continued to work together at the liberal grassroots organization Campaign California and announced plans to team up on an environmental proposition set to be on the ballot the following year. So both eventually remarried Fonda to CNN founder Ted Turner in 1991. (laughs) So people were very surprised by this couple. At the time, Turner was known for being a ruthless businessman. He grew up rich and then built a media empire and, you know, just got more rich. He started CNN around this time, too. He was a big he was the big business machine that Fonda had been fighting against. The courtship was questioned and people thought Fonda was a sellout. Regardless of what people thought, the two had a lot in common. They both were lovers of nature and they both lost a parent to suicide. The two sort of fell in love with each other and then fell off the grid. So as acting gigs for Fonda became more rare, she focused on exploring with Ted. She's quoted as saying, and then Ted Turner came into my life. People think I gave up acting because of him. The fact is I was on the way out. She was again looking for something different. The couple bought a ranch in Montana and spent time exploring, really living out in nature. Fonda focused on her family and taught Turner to do the same. In an interview for The New Yorker, Laura Sidel, Ted's eldest daughter, explains that her father only reluctantly celebrated Christmas and, until he married Fonda, did not invest time in planning family gatherings. Soon, Fonda and Turner and his five children and their families had reunions twice a year and swapped Christmas presents and attended church christenings. So despite the families being so different, they were able to merge happily. Both families speak of how relaxed the two were together. Sadly, that didn't last very long. And in 2001, at the age of 62, Jane filed for divorce. While she loved him, she knew that she could never be authentic or a whole if she stayed. She left and moved into her daughter's house in Atlanta. She spoke of those first days and being alone. She said, I stood in the middle of the room in tremendous pain with sadness that the marriage hadn't worked. And yet there was also this voice that said, I'm okay. For the first time in my life, I do not need a man to be whole. 
And she didn't. So she spent the next seven years out of Hollywood and also celibate. All right. Yeah. So just because she wasn't getting busy, it doesn't mean that she wasn't busy. (laughs) Jane has always been a feminist and she spent her time working for women. She attended conferences for women's issues all around the globe. She began an organization called the Georgia Campaign for Adolescent Pregnancy Prevention. There she worked with parents, doctors, and teens to develop comprehensive age-appropriate sex education. Fonda also spent years writing her memoirs. Digging back in her family's past gave her new insight on her mother and father. They both had rough childhoods, and she learned that the disconnect she felt as a child had nothing to do with her. Their sadness and pain weren't hers. She says that writing the book was a lot for her children as well, especially her daughter, Vanessa. She doesn't want her daughter to feel the way she did about her mother. Fonda's out here trying to end generational trauma. Exactly. So speaking of mothers, in 2005, Fonda took her first film role in 15 years. It was opposite Jennifer Lopez in the film Monster-in-Law. And like, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but it was the first Jane Fonda movie that I saw. Like knowing how wide and like long her career was, like that was the first film that I saw. But, right, you got to start somewhere. Exactly. And she was restarting herself. Monster-in-law marked her return to the public eye. Since 2005, she's been in over a dozen films, Broadway, and numerous TV shows. The most current being Grace and Frankie. And this is one of my mother's personal favorites. And she's always trying to get me to watch it. <laughs> I, and it's not that I don't want to. I just haven't gotten to. Neither. But my mom loves this show, too. My mom doesn't love anything. But she's like, have you seen the show? It's really, really good. And I'm just like, okay. Well, yeah, sure. I'll get to it. But it's ending <laughs> this season, I believe, is the last season. Oh, so now you'll watch it. So now, you're good. Exactly. I that know how you roll. Along. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grace and Frankie stars Fonda and her nine to five co-star Lily Tomlin. They are two best friends who move in together after learning that their husbands are leaving them for each other. Yikes. Hey, you know, everybody figures themselves out at different points in their life, I guess. Sure. The show has provided some well-needed representation. You know, you have women over the age of 60, not just knitting and wasting away. You also have like men coming out in their advanced age. I feel like you don't see a lot of like older gays in things. So I'm all about, I'm like actually very excited to watch this show now. (laughs) Fonda's goal with the show is to give hope to people, especially to older people and especially to women. Spending time with women is where she feels the most herself. So she and her friends like to take trips to fun places like, you know, Standing Rock to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline. They marched in the Women's March and for Black Lives Matter. They meet up and rally against things like Donald Trump's 2016 election, police brutality and climate change. All those things suck. Fonda is teaching a lesson in unwavering old school protest. In her book, What Can I Do? The Path from Climate Despair to Action, she speaks of the younger generation of protesters. She was wary of there being a generational divide. But instead, Fonda has found inspiration in the young climate activist Greta Thunberg, who is known for the Global Fridays for Future climate change protests. In fall 2019, Fonda partnered with Greenpeace and moved to Washington, D.C. for several months, There, she held demonstrations on the steps of Capitol Hill building every Friday to fight for environmental legislative reform and the Green New Deal. She was also arrested multiple times for civil disobedience. Worth it. 
So let's circle back a little bit um, and talk about some of the labels that were attached to Fonda. Yeah, so sex symbol. Let's start there. We spoke about how the world saw Fonda as a sex symbol, but Jane didn't really think of herself that way. In an interview with Piers Morgan, tomato, tomato, tomato. Fonda speaks of being glad about that moment in time. She says, at that time, young men had their first experiences looking at the film. Uh, This is in reference to Barbarella. And I'm glad for that. I think it's kind of cool. But she also notes that she didn't think of herself as a sex symbol, but as a serious actress. And she's really grateful not to have been pigeonholed into all those similar roles that she had been in her early career, or even that role later on. Her husband at the time, Vadim, had set the tone for her image, not Fonda herself. Fonda speaks of Barbarella saying, it was such a wild and brazen kind of film, even for its time. I was doing what Vadim wanted me to do, and I went along with it. I was caught up in this need to please a man and win affection. That came from wanting my father's approval as a teenager and never really being able to get it. I was always seeking to be the kind of woman a man wanted me to be in order to feel loved. Yikes. So I'm sure this is in one of her numerous books, but do you think that was just like years of therapy that like got her to that point, like that realization? Because that's amazing to just be able to be like, this is why I did this things, And now I understand it. Like I, it's so good to get to that point in your life where you're just like, I understand why I made this like mistake or I made this choice and like go from there. Like that's gotta, she's gotta feel like just so validated. Right. I I would imagine. Yeah. So the next label is divorcee. So we spoke about this when we covered Pamela Anderson as well. Women who get married and divorced suffer from a really unfair stigma. Like Anderson, Fonda was looking to make herself happy With Fonda, she just couldn't be happy for long because she wasn't being herself. During Jane's marriage to Tom Hayden, she lived just above poverty level and as bare bones as possible to prove that she could. She wanted to show Tom that she could do it. She didn't want him to see her as spoiled. Later, when she married Ted Turner, people thought she was a sellout. And like, maybe she was because Turner was beyond smitten with her. He couldn't stand to be apart from her. In the beginning, it must have been really great and like validating. She just spent 17 years with a man who cheated on her. Running into the arms of someone who thinks you're the son just might be like what you need. Yeah, I I guess. I guess. I mean. Ooh, wait, elaborate. No, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I don't want to say that she's a sellout for it. I just think that like taking the time to be for yourself and, and like recognizing who you are without a man is, is equally as important. And you know, I don't know how much time she really had to do that for herself. So, and she does now, right? Like she's at that point now, but it took her, it took her a while to get there. And that's all right. There's not a lot of in between in her relationships. Like, I think it's maybe a few months before she's like dating someone again and then like married. So she hadn't really been on her own for uh, like at least 30 years. Turner put her on such a pedestal, which didn't really give her room to grow. Fonda is quoted as saying, none of my marriages were democratic because I was too worried about pleasing. I had to be a certain way in order for them to love me. I had to look a certain way and I looked different for all of them. I wanted to be living as a whole Jane fully. Yeah. The fact that you like put on a mask to be with each man and that's like, 
it's maybe not to say that it's not you. It's just not all of you. It's just like a very filtered version of you. And like, I get that. And it seems like it must be really frustrating to have to do it for so long, especially that one marriage was like 17 years, you know, I'm glad she's out of it and she's like happier now, but it does seem like that is stressful, but it might've come a little bit easier to her because she's an actress. Maybe that's the problem, right? Yeah. Is that she, she knew how to act. She knew how to put mm-hmm. on the mask. When we think back to that quote by her brother about her father, about her father yeah. you know, it's like mm, same yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows? Since the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? Right. But there have been many versions of Jane Fonda, but Hanoi Jane might have been the most damaging. In a 2020 interview, Fonda was asked about the Hanoi Jane nickname. Fonda maintains that the war was unjust. Uh, she doesn't regret much, but she does regret that photo. She stated, it was my fault that I sat there. The image of Jane Fonda, Barbarella, Henry Fonda's daughter, sitting on an enemy aircraft gun was a betrayal. It was like I was thumbing my nose at the military and at the country that gave me my privilege. I love that she recognizes that, though. Fonda deeply regrets that event and has stated that she will go to her grave regretting it. Tom Hayden also regrets not being there to stop what he called a problem with the media. In his opinion, the media used this opportunity to discredit celebrities taking a stand over causes. In the 2018 documentary that we mentioned before, Fonda says they needed a very visible person who represented the peace movement to do something really terrible. And that was me. Was she wrong? Yes. Did the people who had a problem with her message jump on the hate train? Double yes. I think her own words say it best. I am proud of most of what I did, and I am sorry for some of what I did. Fonda is a very effective speaker. People were listening to what she had to say, and that can be dangerous when it comes to politics. So if they need to get rid of you, they will. I mean, a good current example of that would be AOC. Those with opposing views will use any soundbite to try and undermine and discredit her message. Luckily, she talks back. She fights back. We live in a different world now where she Mm -hmm. has that opportunity as well. And that platform, yeah. There was a point in Jane's career when she figured it was all over. She wasn't the sexy lead anymore. Hollywood doesn't allow women to age. It's no secret that Hollywood favors the young and beautiful. Maintaining an acting career while aging? That's hard. Fonda said that she made a promise to herself in her 40s that before she dies, she wants to be a part of giving a cultural face to older women. And at the age of 84, she's doing it. The feedback that she and her Grace and Frankie co-star Lily Tomlin receive from audiences has been nothing but positive. Women are realizing that you can still be sexy and desirable at an older age. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Fonda stated, our culture doesn't like people with wrinkles to be talking about sex. Kids don't like it either. They don't like to think about their parents doing it, Fonda told The Roundtable. But the fastest growing demographics in the world are older women, and a lot of them are doing it very pleasurably. For generations, it's been okay for men to talk about sex and pleasure. And more recently, it's been accepted that younger women can discuss the topic as well. But expanding the conversation to include older women is just as important, and there should be no stigma around it. If someone like Fonda can be the face to represent that for the world, then why not? Fonda's also really fucking talented. Like, she's got two Oscars, about a dozen Golden Globes, and the AFI Life Achievement Award. Her career has been an inspiration to many. And the fact that she's a working actress at the age of 84, it's a beacon of hope for others. 
She was also the first person in the video hall of fame who wasn't an engineer. Her workout videos sold 17 million copies and it paved the way for many workout videos that came after. Richard Simmons went into the oldies. Suzanne Summers, she had that thigh master thing and there's oh, a video yeah. with it. Oh, and there was one, oh, it's not Denise Richards. It's something, it's Denise something. My chubby 12-year-old ass was definitely like doing workouts. It's Denise somebody. I'll find it. I'll throw it on the, the Instagram. All right. All right. But yeah. She's another video empire. So Jane has always been very well known for using her voice and her platform. From opposing the Vietnam War to being a vocal opponent of Trump, Fonda has participated in some of the biggest active moves of the last half century of American history. In total, Jane Fonda has been arrested six times. She understands her platform and knows that a picture of her in cuffs will put a spotlight on whatever cause she's trying to champion. So while her first arrest was for drug charges, it was later determined that the charges were fraudulent and the drugs in question were actually medically prescribed. The remaining five arrests were all connected with her recent protests for better climate change policies and in support of the Green New Deal. And while she's taken steps to reduce her own individual carbon footprint, she felt that wasn't enough. It was insufficient. In an interview from March 2021, she states, I know that it wasn't enough because I'm famous and I have a platform. And Jane uses that platform to uplift the causes that are important to her and that are, in all honesty, important to the world. Fonda has a strong history of standing up for the underdog and injustices. When former President Nixon spoke out and advocated bombing the dikes in North Vietnam, Fonda spoke out loud and clear about the cost the people of Vietnam would pay for that action. Because of her celebrity, Nixon backed down. Countless villages were saved and Fonda's reputation was attacked, but she was willing to take it. She's worked with the Black Panthers for fundraising. She's also campaigned on behalf of revolutionaries such as Angela Davis. Fonda has lent her efforts to a variety of Native American causes. And she has spent her Thanksgiving alongside protesters at Standing Rock. For the 1979 Oscars, Jane asked the Academy president if he would close caption the award ceremony, for which he refused. When she won that night for Best Actress, she delivered her speech using sign language. A few years later, in 1982, the Academy Awards were the first live program to utilize closed captioning and have been closed captioned ever since then. So can Fonda take credit for that? Maybe not, but we're going to give it to her. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways. What do you got for us? So I think my, my takeaway for Jane Fonda is just that it's never too late to change who you are or like better yet, find yourself. Also, like you can invoke change. You should use your voice to do so. Like no matter the size of your platform, you should speak your mind because someone might be listening. Yeah, I honestly, people are always learning and people make mistakes. Uh, that doesn't mean we should cancel them. Like also, that's not cancel a real thing. culture is not a real thing. No, I know. But people throw it around a lot. Right. And and they make those attempts, you know, and for those who say that celebrities shouldn't engage in politics and activism, I'm going to disagree. I think you're wrong. You know, I mean, they shouldn't engage in politics and activism blindly. That's important. They should educate themselves on the topics, but these are the people who have the platform and can help expedite the knowledge of so many of the topics to people who might not otherwise hear about them or listen to them from other sources. So I'm glad for one, for people like Jane Fonda who do 
use their celebrity to to engage in activism. Mm-hmm. Put a spotlight on things. So a handful of resources and references for you. So there was Jane Fonda in five acts. It's available on HBO Max. My Life So Far, uh, a memoir by Jane Fonda. Um, there's an interview with Anna Sale for WNYC called Jane Fonda After Death and Divorce. And From Hanoi Jane to the Workout, A Brief History of Jane Fonda's Activism by Mahita Gajanan for Time Magazine. So what do you think? Share your thoughts with us. Do you have any suggestions for women we should cover? Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and to perhaps include your thoughts in a future episode. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, your aerobics class. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. Remember, we also have merch. Check out our Redbubble link in the show notes or on our link tree, where you can order a variety of items from stickers to t-shirts to mugs and more. Send us a picture or tag yourself with our merch and we'll post it to our Twitter and Instagram. All right, so let's wrap this up. What do you got for us this week, Kim? So I have a quote from Jane Fonda herself. Trying to be perfect is a toxic journey. We have to love our shadow. Love that. Right? That's so good. And as always, believe women. Believe women.